How can I make sense of all this? So Paul is writing to um, probably actually a, a cluster of churches in Corinth, Greece, and they are, in relative terms, they're relatively wealthy, they're relatively prosperous, they're well endowed with, with talented people. He's, you know, he's been engaging with, with uh, people who are well versed in Greek philosophy, there's kind of wisdom of the age, so they, they're capable people. Uh, they're, they're well resourced in a number of, number of ways. And what he's doing is he's, he's hoping this letter and this sort of correspondence will go around the Corinthian churches, encouraging them to raise funds for uh, the church in another part of the world, actually in Jerusalem, where it kind of all began, really. Pen- that's where Pentecost broke out and the church scattered and grew and planted from the church in Jerusalem. But the church in Jerusalem is undergoing intense persecution from the emperors at the time. Christians are being flung out of their jobs. Christians are being flung out of their homes uh, and their places of worship and their homes and so on are being raised to the ground. They're, they're like, it's like, if you like, modern day Syria. They are homeless, they're refugees, they're asylum seekers and they are in, in some cases literally starving to death. And Paul, Paul's the kind of conduit. They haven't got, like we have, um, the internet and news feeds, so they, you know, they can't be aware of immediately what's going on around the world. So Paul is the one, through his travels, is saying, hey, I've just come from these guys here, and they're in desperate need, and I've set up these churches here, and you actually, in relative terms, have got plenty. So what, what he's been doing behind the scenes, but it's bubbled through in this correspondence, and we're, we're tucking into this now, is he's encouraging the Corinthian church to give to the church in Jerusalem. Uh, but in a sense, and what I'd love you to, to so hopefully you see through, through this, and really what I want to speak about, is it's more than just meeting a financial need. There's, there's, uh, we need some money to, to shelter these guys. We need, you know, here's the bottom line, will you cough up, and then job done. He's actually wanting to encourage a whole spirit of, and, and li- outlook of, lifestyle of generosity that would give financially or give in all sorts of ways as, as a lifestyle choice. It's just what we do, it's how we live. So let's, uh, let's tuck into the letter. He says, chapter nine, verse six, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have scattered abroad their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, people will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. 
Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Heavenly Father, our prayer this evening is simply that by your spirit and through your word, you would speak to us this evening, challenge us and inspire us, release us into greater and greater generosity as individuals, as a church. For your glory. Amen. Amen. Um, if you're, you're new or visiting, it's great to have you with us. We're, we're just uh, in September, we've been kind of taking these banners. They're the kind of almost sort of the pillars of our church, as it were. They're, they're what we kind of stand for. If you are thinking about being part of us, then we would encourage you to think about getting connected. A couple of weeks ago, connecting with God. How is your relationship with God through Jesus? Do you know him personally, not know about him? Do you know him? Do you know that he knows you? Are you connected to him? Because if you're connected to him, you'll, you'll want to connect to one another, to, to stand against this individualistic isolation that our culture kind of encourages. Uh, it's possible, to, um, it's possible to, to buy all kinds of stuff and not move from your armchair. It's just click, click on Amazon Prime and it gets delivered to you. You don't have to talk to a shopkeeper. You don't have to engage with someone on the phone. You just, what's that doing to us? We, we, wanna, we wanna say no, as a, we connect with the God who's relational. And, and so secondly, we, we get involved with one another, with church community, but so that the church community can get involved with the wider world that does not know this God who loves them. We, we, we affect the introduction. And uh, we've kept the sign-up sheets up from last week. Wonderfully encouraging response last week. But just in case you missed the opportunity to, to serve either, I think that sort of that side is slightly more home team things. So it could be worship, children, youth, uh, or in community-related things. Regenerate Rise is the, with some of the seniors in Putney. Uh, the Glass Door is this amazing opportunity uh, before they are fed at 8 o'clock on a Tuesday evening when it starts from November onwards, from seven till eight, when it's maybe cold, dark, wet, uh, the, we're gonna put on the tea, coffee, and we love just one or two people who host tea and coffee for those guys so they can come out of the cold, out of the wet, if it's wet, uh, and enjoy a cup of tea. Maybe we get to know them before they head across there. We can play our part in connecting and getting involved with their lives. Uh, next week, George is gonna be speaking on getting out there, uh, continuing that theme of how we can make a difference in our local community. So no prizes for guessing what I'm speaking on this evening. Uh, get giving. But, but more than that, I hope, uh, the, uh, to tap into a, a kind of spirit, a heart of generosity. But, but the focus in, in that sort of heart of generosity is specifically to do with our finances. And I say that unashamedly. Uh, one is because I, I rarely speak from the front overtly about financial giving. So if this is the first time you've come or you haven't been to church for a little while and you sort of rocked up here, um, sucks to be you. <laughs> um, next week you'd have been safe for a good six months. Actually, I, I speak about money uh, as an expression of generosity unashamedly too because in the Bible, uh, in the whole sweep, there are relatively few, hardly any really, verses on sex, sexuality or gender. Uh, there are, depending on how you choose to interpret them, there are about 500 verses uh, to do with faith, living faith. But there are over 3,000 verses 
directly linked to money, wealth, or possessions. Nearly a quarter of all of Jesus' teaching in the Gospels is around money, wealth, or possessions. It, it clearly meant something to Jesus. There's that uh, little account of him just watching. Uh, he notices the widow who gives the two might uh, as part of our offering in the, in the temple cause. He's, he's watching. He's interested. People say, well, are you a bit nosy, invasive. But Jesus knows that, that how we handle our finances will say something about how we approach the whole of our lives. So my little mnemonic t- today, I just want to give a talk with four kind of headings uh, to the mnemonic GIVE, G-I-V-E. Uh, so how can we give in such a way to inculcate, to sort of generate generosity in our lives as a, just as a, a lifestyle given? And I want to argue that first of all, it's when we practice living gratefully. We, we give in a way that is grateful. Giving should be grateful. Paul made a really strong link in just this reading here. Uh, on three occasions, verses 11, 12, 15, he, he talks about thanks to God. It's actually thanksgiving. Giving thanks. Gratitude is at the heart of the whole of our life response in this area. Why do I say that? Well, because um, the psalmist in in Psalm 24 and verse 1, he he begins that psalm by saying, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You think about that for a moment. The earth is the Lord, the earth. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. He made everything. The earth is the Lord's. It belongs to him. We talk about you know, our time or our money or our possessions, but really, they're not. We, we have them to steward while we're here on earth. But I don't know what you would count as your possessions, your money, your finance, all the things that you would say are yours. When you die, and spoiler alert, that's going to happen, when you die, you won't take any of it with you. It's, you're borrowing it, stewarding it, here on earth, the clothes that you wear and the car that you drive and the house that you live in and the job that you do, the, the ingenuity and, and ability and gifts that you have, the air that you breathe. You didn't, you didn't create that. It's given to you. You're, the way your body works, your blood system, your vital organs. You, you don't sort of check in every day. Just, you know, I mean, you go to the doctor, and, but basically, it's God's gave it to you. Genesis 2, he breathed life into the human, and, the, and they... Adam and Eve lived. The earth is the Lord's. Everything that we have is his. Gift to us. Creation is, is not something, the, the lives that we live, it's not something that we kind of, we consume. It is something that we receive and rejoice in. God has given us life and, and we, we look to him and say, how best can I live this life that you have given me? I'm so grateful. Thank you for this wonderful gift. So, so any giving that I might do in financial terms or otherwise, it's not ultimately expressing my love of God as much as actually expressing the recognition that he loves me and has bestowed upon me all these gifts. Thank you. So the G, number one, is giving from a grateful, grateful heart. How else do we cultivate a generous spirit? By, secondly, I, giving that is inspired. 
giving that is inspired. In uh, the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 16, Paul is giving some advice as he's, he's kind of sort of warming them up to this, this gift that he wants them to make. And he makes some really practical points uh, about, um, you know, sitting down and working out, okay, what do you have in your possession? Uh, so how much do you kind of feel you need for yourself and therefore what can you give to others? And it's, it's a very sort of practical thing. And hey, that's a really important part of, of any giving that we might do. If I'm going to give my time, well, how much time can I spare from, from work and, and uh, sort of leisure and, uh, uh, you know, other things, uh, commitments in my life? Well, uh, what, what, how am I going to apportion the time that God has given me? So, so thinking about it practically, really sensible. But it's interesting what he says here in verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. You decide, inspired giving decides, if you like, in the heart, not the head. If we began with the head, if we if we began to plan out all our giving, the ways in which we're going to be generous from the head, we'd, we'd do something like this. We sit down and we go, okay, so what, what bills have I got? Okay, I've got to pay the rent, I've got the heating, light, electricity, I've got some rent on that and phone charge and blah, blah, blah. And then uh, what else? Well, I'd like to be a little bit for sort of, you know, treats and everything out, and I've got the petrol for the car and blah, blah, blah. And we, we rest and we go, well, that's absolutely, I haven't got any. In fact, I haven't got enough to pay for all of that. We would reason, oh, well, there's no way, I, I, I can't do this, if we began with the head. Or if we began with our hands, what, what have I got? And again, similar thing, we'd say, well, I've got, um, I've got the sort of car, so I need to keep, pay the insurance, that's important to me, you know? but I've also got, um, I've got the house that I live in, the room that I have, I, I need that, I need somewhere to live, and there's also my job that pays all these things, so I need to kind of hold on to that and make sure that I'm, and um, before we know it, we're kind of clutching to all these things. We're holding on to stuff. And the more we focus on stuff, rather than the giver of stuff, funny enough, and I don't know whether you've experienced this, the more, it, the more you kind of grip it, the more you find it actually grips you. I'll confess to you, and this will be weird to some of you, I recognize, but here's where I feel this tug on me strongly. It's in, it's in the stuff that I have to do with a hobby of mine, which is, is climbing and mountaineering. Here's my confession. Well, no, here's a reality, okay? I've got one back. How many rucksacks do you think I've got? <laughs> I only need, I've got one back. I can only carry one rucksack at one time. The French call it a sac a dos, a sack for the back. One. You only need one. I've got five. Five? Why have I got five rucksacks? And what's more, if you ask to borrow one of my rucksacks, why is it that I will tighten in here? Well, which one? Why is it that I want to go, well, you can have the sort of oldest one or the broken one or the one with the straps kind of hanging off. Yeah, you can have that one. Aren't I generous? But the other four, no, hoard, hoard, hold on. Not giving that away. Now, in other things, like um, clothes or I don't know, other stuff, I, they, they, it, that... I'm not gripping that so it doesn't grip me so much. That's, it's my weird little thing. This is why you need to pray for your vicars. Perfect. says pray for your leaders. Now you're beginning to see why. But in, in the whole, it's not just rucksacks. It could be my climbing equipment. It could be my ice axes. You want to borrow my ice axes? Whoa. Those are flipping precious. Ah, 
So how much are they holding on to me? How much am I gripped by them? You, you, you do the translation for whatever it is. You do the transference in your life, in your world. Things where stuff grips you. If I, if I start with my head or start with my hands, I, I will find it incredibly hard to be generous. Each of you should decide in your heart. It, it's, it's linked in with all the other points. It's linked in with the gratitude. When I recognize just what God has done for me, this is where, by the way, the principle of the tithe, you, you may have come across this in the Old Testament, uh, it, it began really early on with Abram. Abram was kind of kidnapped and eventually was rescued and he, he put that down to God's uh, uh, intervention. God rescued Abram and Lot. And as God, Abram was so, so thankful. Oh, I got myself in a real pickle. and You've got me out of that, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And as a, a worship response, before it became law, interestingly, I think we, we sort of think it was a God sort of saying, you must give a tenth. No, it was a free offering. Abram volunteered that. It got enshrined in the law. You read about it in Genesis 14. And he said, right, everything that I, I, I count as mine, these crops, these herds, these flocks, then 10% of them, whatever it is, if I've got 10 sheep, you can have one. If I've got 100 cattle, you can have 10. 10% is a tithe. I freely give to you to say thank you so much. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He was inspired. Inspired. In a sense, it doesn't make you've got 10 sheep. You kind of want to hold on to 10 sheep. Or you've got 100 cattle and you're in a kind of uh, farming uh, uh, community. You, they're important. But he trusted that if God rescued him out of that fix, he'll supply all his needs. And so I'll give you a tenth, God. And that got enshrined in the Lord, Deuteronomy 14 and, and all the way through. Uh, is just good practice, not a kind of you must, but just this is going to help you to remain soft in your grip. You won't hold on to these things. If I bought all these rucksacks and every now and then gave one of them away, I, I wouldn't be so held by that particular little thing that I've got to continue to work through. So giving should be inspired. That's why the, the, the tithe is not so much a tax in biblical terms as a token. It's an opportunity to say, oh God, thank you so much. And, and as I choose to give to you, in, in practical terms, I'm giving things away that will include others in your blessing be it time or money or, or whatever it might be, material things. As I give it away, it's not going to grip me and it's actually going to probably bless others because it's given from a spirit of generosity, a spirit of release, of freedom. So giving should be inspired. Look at it in um, uh, uh, verse 8 and then 10 and 11. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Are we inspired to see that? Now he who supplies seed to the sower, verse 10, and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The head doesn't work that out. And the hands won't release that. It's the heart that sees the truth of that in spiritual terms, kingdom terms, dares to believe it's true and lives for it. So giving that is grateful, giving secondly that is inspired, and giving thirdly that is visionary. 
And I say that because, as I mentioned, the 10th as a, an Old Testament, and I should just, I should just say, so that was a, a, a principle enshrined in law. It was an expectation of the people of God, Israel, in Old Testament times. Uh, tantalizingly, in the New Testament, um, Jesus, who would have been well aware of the tithe, he was familiar with all the law, uh, he doesn't say anything about that. He doesn't say you should give more, and he doesn't say you should give less. I guess he just leaves it up to you and the Lord. Kind of open question. Can you? Can you give more than 10%? Then maybe the Lord is saying, what's stopping you? It may be that you need to give less than 10% for whatever reason. I'm not asking. It's between you and the Lord. I don't think he wants us to get locked into a kind of legalism, as it were. But he does want our generosity. He does want our generosity. And the tithe is there in the Old Testament and maybe there in the background as a principle in nowadays, uh, as a sort of benchmark, if you like, for, well, how am I doing on the whole generosity stakes? Giving needs to be visionary because when I talk in those terms, you think, well, Tim, no, with respect, do you know what 10% of my income amounts to? That is a heck of a lot of money. Are you serious? And maybe it's the language here when we talk about giving. Maybe we sort of lock into a slight caricature that I'm talking about giving away kind of getting rid of. You know, when, when there's a sort of bargain basement, there's a sort of final closing down sale, and they, they're just giving away the stock. It's like, we, we've kind of written it off. This is now worthless, so you need to have it. No. No, th- this, is, this is hugely valuable. Maybe it's not helpful to think of giving away, like just, well, oh, whatever. Maybe the I could stand, of the of previous point, could stand for investment. It's investing. And that's what requires, thirdly, the vision. Generosity of heart fosters visionary giving. Paul is encouraging the Greeks here to give to the uh, Christians in Jerusalem whom the Greeks probably will never ever meet or encounter. Again, nowadays, you know, we can, we can it's just World Wide Web and so on, easy jet, you can jump on a plane, you can, be, you can go from Greece to Jerusalem in no time. But back then, Paul is saying, I, I want you to give to a cause that you may never actually see the fruit of or the results of but I want you to give anyway because I I want you to to see inverted commas with the eyes of your heart decide in your heart I want you to see what God is doing that goes way beyond and above what meeting a material need does we even give money to build a few homes to house these Christians it's more than that are you prepared to, to give, Paul is saying, in a way that will bless Christians two millennia hence as they sit in a church in Fulham and read about what you did? Our giving needs to be grateful. It needs to be inspired as an investment. It needs to be visionary. And here at St. I'm, I'm, I'm just inviting you into, into visionary, visionary giving. How do we do that? Well, in chapter 8 and verse 5, uh, just across the page, as he's talking about this in a previous chapter, he talks about these Macedonian Christians who were themselves actually really poor, but they were so caught up with what the Lord was doing in their lives and therefore in the lives of others, they wanted to share it, 
uh, that they pleaded. Look at that, verse 4 of chapter 8. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they went beyond our expectations, having given themselves first of all to the Lord. They gave themselves by the will of God also to us. They gave themselves to the Lord. They sought the Lord. They prayed him. Lord, what could you do with my sacrificial act of generosity? Will you show me? Will you reveal to me what you could do? That's why we, we, we run so many of these things. And I, I would love to run as many as we possibly can, given the constraints of time and so on, energy, commitment, uh, money. But I love that we run the recovery course here. I, I, I love the privilege. I tell you what gets me out of bed on a Tuesday morning for the prayer meeting is knowing that there's a little prayer book that the people on the uh, recovery course write prayers. Some of them anonymous, some they sign. And we pick it up on a Tuesday morning and when we gather to pray, we, we just pray for these people. And I love the, the kind of, we're, we're just beginning to come out of the J curve. Do you know that, you know, when you want to change something or, or, or yeah, you make a change it, and you want to get from there to there, it always gets worse before it gets better. And the, the initial bit of change is always, always hard. And so it's known as the J-curve, apparently, because it looks like a... Anyway, and uh, there, there, there's a bottom bit here, and maybe just coming out, and we're just being, some of the prayers are beginning to just have that little hint of, I've, I've smelt the freedom, I've tasted the freedom. Well, it is such a privilege to pray for these guys. I don't know who they are. I don't need to know who they are. But they wonderfully, through Lauren and her team, they are encountering the possibility of being released from whatever it is that's gripped them into greater and greater freedom. Praise God. We, we're running one at the moment. I'd love to one run every day of the week, <laughs> if we could. I love that there are about seven or eight of us that partner with St. Paul's Hammersmith for their Crosslight Death Advice Scheme. These are people who are trained up. They've given loads of time. I want to say I'm so aware of of how in all sorts of ways you already give your time, your talents, your expertise. They've given, uh, given over Saturday mornings to be trained up by the team up there to walk alongside people who are having difficulties in managing their finances and to help them, to journey with them, walk with them, offer them a little bit of advice to get them out of that horrible sort of pit in the stomach feeling of, of, of just not, never having enough money at the end of the month uh, and of managing that as best they can. I love that we run that. I'd love to increase that, expand it. I love that we've got um, uh, a youth group. I, on a uh, um, Sunday morning, 10.30 here, all sort of families and kids come in. We do these kind of all-age songs, uh, not, not too many, but just one or two with sort of actions and stuff like that. And there's always, I always think, oh, look, there's lots of young kids. And I look around, and there aren't any... And I, I hear about this youth group, and I think, well, I've never, I never see any youth. And then Georgia and Hannah who are on the, on the team, they tell me that basically what happens is they, they sort of get as far as the corner and they don't come any further. There's no way we're going to do kids' songs. Uh, so they hang on the corner and Georgia and Hannah go out and meet them and go off to Starbucks or a group or on the green uh, to do a kind of interactive Bible study or discussions kind of mentoring session. We've got 20 youth on the books. I had no idea. This, they, they are the church of today and they're the leaders of tomorrow. Actually, to be honest, they're probably the leaders of today as well. If you think about the peer pressure in the playground and the classroom and the groups, they're having to stand up for Christ in a way that maybe many of us uh, aren't. Uh, it's so exposed with the sort of playground bullying and banter and so on. Although I know in some offices it can be fairly brutal too. 
But we, we just want to give leaders who can raise these guys up and equip them. That's why we've got the sign-up sheets. But you won't do it if you kind of start with your head or if you look at all the things that are already going on in your life. But if you see through the eyes of your heart as you get God's vision for what he'll do, then we'll relinquish our hold of the things that don't last anyway. Jesus' teaching in Matthew 6, he's actually teaching about worry. He says, look, here's the antidote to worry. Let go of the things you're gripping onto because they're beginning to grip you. They'll rust or decay or wear out. Why, why are you chasing after these things, kind of taking out extra insurance policies and worrying and fretting when it's not going to last? Go for the stuff that lasts. Well, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Statement and promise. Statement. Seek first. Uh, sorry, um, uh, uh, command and promise. Command. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek him. Get a vision from him for how you should deploy all your resources. And here's the promise. All these things, your car and your job and your work and your clothes, shall be added unto you. Do you trust him? Maybe that's, maybe that's the challenge tonight for some of us here. Do you trust him in his word that as you seek him for a vision as how we'll live a radically generous life, he will add all these things to you as you need. Not necessarily all the things you want, but all the things you need. Joe and I, we've, uh, been, I've been in ministry now for 20 years. We, uh, and I, uh, forgive me if this sounds boasting, we were just fortunate enough to have had this kind of teaching before we earned, both as students at university. So when my first paycheck came in, I thought, I took a deep breath and thought, okay, in it goes, and I'm gonna, we've tithed. All the way through our married life, we've tithed. That's not always been easy. On a vicar's income with three dependent children at home. And there have been times when I've, we have really thought, how is this going to work? And I've, times when I've been tempted in my head to think, ah, and to call, no, we need to hold on, hold on. And, and at just the right moment and in just the right way, God has provided our needs. I promise you that. We have, we have never felt us. We've, we've had to make some, cut some corners and cut the cloth, and we haven't been able to do everything we might have liked to do, but we've had everything we've needed and some. He is true to his word. Seek first his kingdom. Have a vision for his life. Uh, uh, for, for, yeah, well, yeah, his life in you. And for, for generous giving. And all these things will be added to Trust him. Giving that's visionary. Finally, giving that's expectant. It follows that if we have got God's vision for our lives, for a lifestyle of generosity, we'll be expectant. Just in verse 6, the top of our reading. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whoever sows generously will also reap generously. He deploys this um, metaphor from agriculture, and it's, it's just true, even if we've had a, sort of the kind of summer that farmers haven't enjoyed this summer. Nevertheless, as a general rule, if you put something in the ground, a seed or whatever, it will grow. Three things, very briefly. You reap what you sow. If you sow uh, an ear of wheat, you'll get a field of wheat. If you, if you sow an apple tree, you, don't, you won't get pears. You'll get apples. You reap what you sow. That's just true in nature. And so he takes that metaphor and applies it here. So if you sow sparingly, 
you'll also reap sparingly. It's, again, it's back to the attitude of the heart. It is perfectly possible for you to take out a checkbook, whatever one of those used to be, <laughs> uh, and you could, you, you could write it, just for the illustration, it works better. Uh, so you could write a check for a million pounds, and you could stick it in the box there. But if your heart is saying, um, don't bother me, I don't want to get connected, I don't want to get involved, I'm not going to get out there, I'm going to just withdraw in my own little isolated... Well, what good's that money, frankly? It, it hasn't contributed to a culture of generosity. We, we can sow sparingly, and we will reap sparingly. But those who sow generously will reap generously. God loves a cheerful giver, because a cheerful giver is someone who gets what God has given to them, and they just pay it forward. This is so much fun. The more I give, the more God gives me to give. How amazing is that? That's so good. And we, we, we play our part in creating a culture of generosity. You reap what you sow. So generously. So generously. All this stuff, we can't keep it. So we sit light to it in order that we can give generously. Secondly, you reap after you sow. Obvious point, isn't it? But uh, I think that's a kind of just a word to our, the muscle of our faith in a world of instance, click, and it's yours, click, and I've got it, click, and I can discover that. And sometimes when you sow, Jesus told the story of the farmer in Mark 4, he sows a seed, and then for months, he doesn't, nothing happens. But Jesus tells us in that parable, all by itself, the seed uh, sprouts roots, and, oh no, was it shoots roots and sprouts forward. It, it grows, and the farmer doesn't know how, in its own time, in its own way, and long after he's sown it, as I say, the, the likelihood is, with the turnover that we have here, that, that um, just people come and people go, which is it's one of us, just a feature of, of church life in this part of London, that you giving now in your time or your energy, your commitment, serving in all sorts of ways, you may not actually see the fruit of your sacrifice while you're here. You may never see it this side of, the, of, the king, of, of glory. You will one day, at the moment we see through a, a dark glass, Paul says, but then we'll see as face to face. You'll see, oh, Wow. When I, when I mentored that young person just for a six-month period and I gave my time to him and my life experience, and I thought it made absolutely no difference. And then in glory in heaven, you see this man who's brought hundreds and thousands to the Lord. You go, wow, did I contribute to that? I had no idea. It's visionary. Expectant that when you do something in the Lord's name and for the Lord's glory, you'll reap after you've sown. And finally, and it's true to say, you reap more than you sow. Again, another story Jesus told about the farmer who scattered seed, and when it landed in good soil, this seed produced a crop a hundred times what was sown. Not a hundred percent. It wasn't like double, it was a hundred times what was sown. I used to read that for a long time. I used to read, oh yeah, wow, that's sort of a hundred percent increase. That's, that's quite good. It's not what Jesus is teaching hundred times. God makes this stuff grow. He, he, he was teaching on the mountainside and um, 5,000 men, we're told. So let's assume there were some women and children and others who they didn't used to count in that patriarchal, patriarchal society. So let's assume there were 10, 12, 15,000 people. It's lunchtime. They're hungry. What's going to happen? So Andrew finds this boy who's got his packed lunch. It's two fish, five loaves. And even Andrew's, well, oh, he's, that's not going to go far. But with Jesus, 
takes the fish and the loaves. He feeds everyone until they've had their fill, the Bible tells us, and there were 12 baskets left over. When, when, you, when you join in with Jesus, you reap far more than you sow. You say, well, I've, I've only got this amount of money. I've only got this amount of time. Well, give it. Give it and see what God will do in and through it. He'll do way more than all you can ask or imagine. So the invitation and the challenge this evening is to all of us, myself included, I challenge myself, will I give with a grateful heart? Will I give in an inspired way? Will I invest? Will I catch God's vision? Will I be expectant for all that he will do as I play my part in his kingdom plans and purposes? That's why we say, get giving as a church. We get caught up in God's blessing as we seek to bless others through our generosity. Practically, what, what do we do as a result? And this evening, as this morning, I'm going to invite every single one of you to respond in some way. And I'm going to invite every single one of you, in a seemly manner, to move from your seat and come to the front and to respond in one of three ways. You can either for those who you, you already give, and I, I'm looking, I can see, as I look out, I can see some people who give hours and hours and hours for some aspect of church life voluntarily. There are others of you, and, and by the way, I, I don't know, I make it a rule that I know who gives, and I know the amount that is given, but I don't correlate the two. I don't want to know who gives what. I say to the, the, the treasurer and our director of operations, uh, they bear that burden. But I, I don't want to have the, uh, it's, it's, I'm sort of chickening out really, I don't want to have the burden of that. Basically because I, I want to be as pure as I can be in my pastoral relationships. And so you know, if, I, if I happen to know that you own half the Duchy of Cornwall and you're giving two pounds every six months and you come to me and say, well Tim, I've got a real problem. I say, well, go figure. <laughs> I'm just confessing that I'm not there yet. My, I'm, I'm too immature. A serious point. I, 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 I would, that would, that if, I, if I had that information, it, I can't trust myself to pastor you with an entirely pure heart. I know the power of money. God, Jesus says you cannot serve God or mammon. I don't, I don't want to slide into using money as a controlling mechanism. So I like to know who gives so that I can say thank you so much. And I'd like to know how much is given so that I can sound sensible to the PCC but I don't want to know the two. So, so you please, if you, I'd just like you to know that from an accountability point of view. If you give already, in, uh, and you, honestly in your heart, that I can't, I'm maxed out, then what I'd love you to do as we all come up is to take a post-it note, there's loads of pens on the piano, just scatter around the piano, and write on that, contribute to that, populate that board, I will commit to express generosity by. We did this this morning. Let me just read out. I've put a few of them uh, back on just to give you a few examples. I will commit to express my generosity by uh, my attitude in all situations be what can I give rather than what can I get. Uh, Increasing my time and hospitality to people that need comfort and get alongside them more. By inviting someone for a coffee once a term or lunch. By opening my heart to hear about another. I will review my 10% every week and action on it. (laughs) Obviously written by a consultant. Uh, The the action on it bit. Uh, Plenty of others. 
just ways in which, okay, I'm, how is my expression going to be generous? So I'd love to invite you to come. That's one response. Second response, you say, Tim, uh, you've given me a lot here to think about, and I, I realise I'm not giving, or I could I'm not reviewed my giving, I could give more. So these Connect cards here, as opposed to the ones at the back, if you take one of these, fill in your details, and tick the box there on the bottom left, I'd like to give financially, but put it in the basket. Oh, no, the basket's here. Put it in the basket uh, there. And we, we will then know that the cards in this bucket, not the, the, the Connect cards put at the back if you're new and you want to connect in with us, but the cards in this basket with the tick I'd like to give financially, you're saying, I'm thinking about this. And in effect, by filling in that card, you're saying, I give you permission to get in touch with me in a couple of weeks, a month, uh, when I've thought about what my response to giving financially might be. So that's that one there. It may be, finally, that actually you've known, you've done the maths, you saw that was two weeks ago, that was last week, so okay, I know what this is about. And you've seen these forms at the back, the parish giving forms, you're not giving on a regular basis, but you're committing to be part of us here. Uh, and you want to see this place flourish, and the ministry in and through this place flourish. And for you to flourish, then uh, it's time to to commit to giving on a regular basis. It could be once a week, once a month, once a quarter. I, I don't know, you've, different of us have paid in different ways at different times. But where you can, and I, I recognize not everyone's able to, some people are on seasonal work and shift work and that kind of thing. But where we can, the parish giving scheme is what the diocese recommend we use. It, on the inside here, it, it explains all about that. Uh, and then you open that up and uh, you can fill in the details here. Here's the kind of bad news in a you know, 21st century technological society. You do actually have to take a pen and fill in the form and sign it. Uh, it it's just the way in which it's administered. These forms have got a sticker that makes them specific to us. These aren't generic, and that's how they work it all out. So we actually need to fill this in. We can't sort of scan them or do it that way, which is a bit of a pain, I acknowledge. But it's just a simple form to fill in. Uh, and maybe you want to take one away to work out your finances and then post it back later on or pop it through the door or hand it to Camille, our treasurer, or myself. I, again, put it in envelopes so I don't see it, and I'll just pass it on. So if you, you, you know that God is calling you to, to give here, to release ministry, then fill in one of those. So it's either fill in the form, it's either I'm thinking about it, or here's how I want to commit generously in, in whatever way. Just a moment or two for us to to come before the Lord, to bring this challenge of how we'll uh, be the 21st century equivalent of the Corinthian churches, how we'll be grateful, inspired, envisioned, expectant, so that we grow and we enable others to grow too. Lord God, thank you. Thank you so much. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Thank you. It's, it's all from you and for you. But you include us in it all. We get to play our part. We're, what a privilege that is. So Father, we pray as we respond now and express our response. Uh, stick it on the, post it on the note. Or I'm thinking about it. Or I'm actually going to fill this form in and do it. Play my part. Lord, inspire us, enable us, release us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together. If the band can, if I can invite the band back, they're going to play. 
uh, stop playing and probably sort of lead us into worship. Is that, is that right? Kind of, yeah, let's, uh, let's get worshipping. Um, and we'll close, formally close our service um, in a few minutes' time. But I just want to give everyone, every single one of you, an opportunity to respond. So just as and when you're ready, don't, don't wait for a sort of signal. Just as and when you're ready, there, come. There are plenty of pens laid out here. It may be, too, that part of your response, you want to go to the back to the sign-up sheets and uh, to commit to give time or expertise in that way, then that's fine too. But let's respond to this generous God of ours.